Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, we come this morning to week number six of our seven-part series entitled Breathe. And I want to begin this morning with a question. Have you ever traveled and spent a night in a large conference-style hotel, perhaps in a major city? Well, if you have, did you notice anything peculiar when you got into the elevator? Namely, did you happen to mention this when you got into the elevator? There's no button for the 13th floor. Many major uh, hotels and conference centers don't have a 13th floor in their property. Evidently, people are so superstitious about the 13th floor that people don't want to stay there. So they simply removed it from their elevator. Now, obviously, there is a 13th floor. They just don't want to mention it. But when it came to spiritual gifts in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians were operating and traveling on the 12th floor and the 14th floor. But they had completely overlooked and ignored the 13th floor, the center floor. And yet it is the center floor, the 13th floor, whereby God becomes most visible here on the earth. We make the invisible God visible mostly on the 13th floor. And so, What Paul writes this letter, and particularly this chapter, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians 4, is to remind the Corinthian Christians that it is the 13th floor that substantiates and validates and sustains all of the other gifts that operate through the person of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, in this service, we're going to hit the button. We're going to stop the elevator on the 13th floor. On the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's a common chapter for many people because most of us know of the 13th chapter of Corinthians as the love chapter. I would suspect that nearly every single person in this auditorium has at some point and at some part in their life attended a wedding and they heard an excerpt from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's verses 4 through 8 of that text. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never ends. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever heard that text of Scripture or a portion of that text? Can I see your hand? Okay, nearly all of us have. And though it is a very poetic passage, it's a very beautiful passage of Scripture, and though we can see why it is often used in a wedding, this text of Scripture has very little to do with marriage. It has nearly everything to do with how we steward spiritual gifts in our life. 
It is not an accident or coincidence that Paul the Apostle, in writing his letter, actually says and, and strategically places the 13th chapter right in the middle of the two most theologically dense passages of Scripture found in all of the Bible. It's very strategic. Because what Paul writes to suggest is this. Our spiritual gifts are only as spiritual as they are loving. In fact, what Paul suggests is that the best and the most significant spiritual gift is not prophecy. The most important spiritual gift is not the gift of healing or the gift of miracles. The most significant spiritual gift here on this earth is the gift of love. And I would suggest to you this morning that love is the enduring evidence that a person is truly operating filled with God's Spirit. I would suggest to you that love is the proof that a person is truly full of God and not full of themselves. This morning I've invited my wife, Kelly, to join me on the platform. She would rather be any place in the world but on this platform, okay? So welcome her, please, as she comes and joins me this morning. My, my wife would much rather be back in the kids' rooms than she would up here on the platform. Thank you, honey, for joining me this morning. I love you, and I love Jesus, and I love these people, so. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Well, Kelly, I, I want you to tell a story because it's really powerful, um, and it actually occurred when you were 16 years of age, and you had insomnia one night and couldn't sleep. Tell us about what happened that evening. Well, when you have anxiety, insomnia is not too... Um, uncommon but there was a night I couldn't sleep and I got my Bible out and I just kept reading it and I felt prompted that I was to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit and so I kept saying well I don't know what to do I'll just keep reading my Bible and then I finally said Lord if my dad gets up and comes in and and offers to pray with me then I will pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit and it was like 3 in the morning, and I heard my dad walking down the hallway, and he knocks on my door and said, what's your light doing on? What are you doing up? I said, I just can't sleep, and I think I'm to pray for the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, praise the Lord. Let's pray. So we knelt down by my bed, and we prayed, and, and I asked the Holy Spirit to come into my life in a bigger way because I had given Jesus my life and surrendered my life to him when I was 12 um, that night. I just felt, you know, the night I was, I accepted Christ, I felt this overwhelming peace and love and joy, and, and I felt my decision. But when I prayed for the fill, fill, fullness of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel anything. So I said to my dad, I don't feel anything. He said, do you want me to poke you with a pin? And he said, you don't necessarily have to feel anything. You prayed in faith, and God says he'll give good gifts to his children, and so... We believe that it happened. Yeah. So you finally fell asleep that night and mm -hmm. went to school the next day and didn't think much about that experience. There was no visible evidence that anything had changed in your life. But something happened that day in school where the gifts of God's Spirit were also operating. What happened in that experience? Well, I was walking down the hallway, and a girl I didn't know very well just came up to me and stopped me and said, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, yeah, just last night. And she said, you've been given the gift of love. What I love about that story is here you have a young lady 
who has obviously surrendered her life to Christ, and she now is operating in a gift of knowledge and bringing that gift to Kelly as a word of encouragement to strengthen her, to encourage her faith. And yet through the years, Kel, you know, we've talked about this, that obviously that gift didn't feel as significant as some of the others the Scripture talks about. And you've evolved in your understanding of how that gift operates and your acceptance of that. Talk about what that's been like for you. Well, when um, my classmate said you've been given the gift of love, to me, more than thinking about the gift, I thought, wow, God really did fill me last night. It was a confirmation for me. So I didn't think much about the gift. I just thought about the confirmation that God answered my prayer. And then Gil was um, preaching on 1 Corinthians 13 about eight years ago when, I'm sure he's preached on it many times, but you know when God really wakes you up about something and you really hear it in your spirit. Um, he was preaching about the gifts and how the greatest of these is love. And it hit me, wow, God gave me a gift. I never thought about it or appreciated it like I needed to, you know, that he gifted me with something I needed for my job and for our ministry and just the gift I needed. Like I, I looked at the other gifts like healing and prophecy and knowledge and, and, you know, even singing on stage, having the nerve to do that. And I didn't have those gifts, but I all of a sudden had an appreciation for what God had given me. Yeah. So what would you say, honey, this morning to somebody here that maybe is still, you know, new at the praying for God's fullness, praying for the Holy Spirit? What would you say to a person um, who may be seeking more of God today? I would say that he formed you and he knows you and he knows the best gifts, whether they be in the background or in the forefront. Just pray for him to fill you with his spirit and pray for those gifts because as good parents we want to give our children everything we can that they want you know we want to offer that to them so he is willing and powerful and can give you the gifts you need well let me just say this before my wife steps off the platform i've been the recipient of her gift of love for 33 years and i am so tremendously grateful that she has allowed this to operate in her life in my, in my life and others that have experienced her. So, honey, thank you for sharing this morning. I love you. Let's make the love connection this morning. Because when you come to Scripture, one of the things I want to remind you of is that the divinely inspired Scripture did not have chapter breaks. It did not have headings and subheadings. The original text of Scripture was a seamless flow of thought bringing God's truth to us. And so to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you've got to bookend it with the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 14. So we want to make the love connection. And so let's begin this morning where chapter 12 ends. Here's what it says, verses 29 through 31 of 1 Corinthians 12. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. 
Now, Paul uses really intentional language in this final phrase of chapter 12. He calls love the way of life that is the best of all. It's actually a combination. It's a compound word found from two different words in the Greek language. The first word meaning above and beyond, and the second word meaning to place or to put at a high place. Literally what Paul is saying is this, I want you to know about the way of life that is above and beyond everything else here on this earth. There is nothing that even compares or competes with this way of life. And this way of life that he speaks about is love. Implicit in this text of Scripture, Paul is suggesting that it is love that makes us look the most like God. It is love that makes us function the most like God. And so in our English language, we have this word love, and we use it interchangeably for all sorts of different emotions, and we connect it to all sorts of different things. But we have one primary word for love. So I love my wife, and I love my three kids, and I love my grandkids, and I love this church. But I also love playing tennis, and I love motorcycles, and I love convertibles, and I love a good slice of pizza, and I love an ice cream cone. They are not the same levels of love, but we use that one word interchangeably. Well, in the Greek language, the Greek language had three primary words that were used for love. There were three ways that people could express love in first century Greek culture. So the first word is, and it's the word that was the most common in the Greek language. It was the word eros. It is perhaps what we often think of when we think of the word love. It is a physical love. It is a human love. It is an emotional love. It's a romantic kind of love. It is the most primal kind of love that we often think about here on the earth. But here's what is so remarkable. In the New Testament, Though that in the Greek, classical Greek, was the most common word used for love, it never appears even one time in the New Testament. The word was never grabbed. The second word that was used in the Greek language was the word phileo. Now, I got used to this word early in life because I grew up outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, so that would have been the closest big city to us growing up. And Philadelphia comes from the Greek word phileo, which simply means friendship or brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, though if you walk through the streets, you wouldn't know that. And that word is used periodically in the New Testament. But there was another word for love in the classic Greek. But it was a word that was virtually non-existent. They, they didn't use it in any of the writings. It was the purest form of love. It was the highest form of love. It was the most perfect kind of love. And so when the early Christians were trying to find the right way to express God's love, when they were trying to find a way to exemplify and illustrate and verbalize what this love looked like, they reached deep into their vocabulary to a word that rarely ever got used in classical Greek. And they lift that word out and say, this is the word that demonstrates the kind of love. It's the highest, purest, most significant kind of love here on the earth. It is agape 
love. This is God's kind of love. And there is an enormous chasm that exists between this human love and between this Christian love that God calls us to. This human love is anchored in feeling. Christian love is completely anchored in the will. You know, human love is all about we fall in love with someone or something. In Christian love, there is no falling in or out. It is all about what we choose to do regardless of how we feel. Human love is completely contingent upon attraction. Christian love is contingent upon commitment. Human love is all built on another person's response, but Christian love is built on our response to God. And when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you all claim to be spiritually on fire for God. The problem is you are ice cold when it comes to love. And what I want to do is I want to blow on the embers of love. And I want to get them burning white hot inside of your life and inside of your body. Because when the embers of God's love burn white hot, all of a sudden other people can see an invisible God. And he becomes super attractional. And so Paul, as he writes, actually says here in the 13th chapter is the main thing I want you to know, and it serves as our big idea today. Here it is. Everything minus love equals nothing. That's what Paul writes. Everything minus love equals nothing. The first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, he actually says this. If I could speak all of the languages of the earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. This last weekend marked the end of an era here in our country. Take a look at the video screen. The greatest show on earth will soon take its final bow. This show in Orlando is the last time the staff, the entertainers, the jugglers, and clowns shoot up and perform before the announcement that the longest running circus in history will shut down after 146 years. We will be closing. So to the Corinthian church, spiritual gifts were the show. And if they were the show, they had the greatest show on earth. They took center stage, and they were the performers. And so Paul writes to this church, and here's what he says in very piercing language. He says, listen, if you could speak in tongues, and it made you seem or sound more spiritual, when it reaches the ears of heaven, God says, there is that noisy gong and that clanging cymbal again. And if you were a biblical scholar, 
and you theologically knew everything there was to know, and you even had the faith to move mountains, but it didn't, it wasn't motivated by love, there's no profit. And you could be the most philanthropic person. You could be the most generous and benevolent person that has ever lived on this earth. And you could even become a martyr because of your faith. But if the flames of fire that burn your body are not fueled by love, then there is no value. You've lost everything. You may get notoriety, and you may get recognition here on earth, but you will not even get honorable mention when you stand before God. And so Paul says, listen, that is not the way that I want you to live. What I want you to live is fueled, empowered, and emboldened by God's love. And that love is so expressive through you and in your life and in your church body that it becomes a magnet for other people who are searching for God here on this earth. So Paul ends this chapter 13 and connects it to chapter 14. But before we hit the button and move from chapter 13 to chapter 14, let's take a detour to 1 John 4. Because if 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, then 1 John 4 is the living in love chapter. And here's how John the Apostle says this about love. It's such a powerful text because in just 14 verses of Scripture, the word love appears 28 times. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Fast forward to verses 16 and 17. God is love. And all who live, who love, uh, who love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I think what the Scripture teaches is this. Just like every gift that God gives requires the exercise of our faith, love also requires the exercise of our faith. If we're going to make it perfect... We've got to practice it. And John writes and says, listen, if you want to have a perfect love, it's going to take exercise and practice of this spiritual gift, this discipline that I want you to have. And so in chapter 13, Paul ends this love chapter, and he moves us to chapter 14 with these words. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities that God gives. Now what Paul does here is Paul moves back into the spiritual gifts, but he does it to correct an incorrect emphasis that was happening among the believers in Corinth. And this incorrect emphasis was this. They were not making love their highest aim. They were making spiritual gifts their highest aim. Their big ambition was not to love. Oh, they desired love, but they did not pursue love. And so 
Some translations actually use that word, pursue love. And it literally means how it's translated here. It means to make it your chief aim, your highest priority. It's an interesting word in the Greek because it's actually the same word that Paul uses elsewhere for the word persecute. And we often think of the word persecute as a negative word. It's, it's not always that way. The word persecute simply means to pursue with a passion. And what Paul is writing and saying is, I want you to make love your highest aim, your chief priority. And you know what happens when we know what our aim is, when we know what our target is? We all of a sudden can align our priorities to our aim. We can put them in the right place. There was a young man who took the job of CEO of an electric hand drill company. And he walked in one day to all of his staff and he made an announcement. He said, listen, I want to change our marketing strategy. And here's what I want us to change. People do not buy drills because they want drills. They buy drills because they want holes. And I want us to figure out what kind of holes people want, and then we'll know the kind of drills that we need to design. The Corinthian church had marketed gifts. And Paul says, I don't want you to market gifts. I want you to make your chief aim and the market love. And then let's find a way that all of these other tools become just that, a tool to point us in the direction of making love our chief aim, our highest priority, our big ambition. Now, we also are to desire spiritual gifts because all of the gifts God gives are good. But we must keep that order in its proper priority. This may surprise you, what I'm about to say. But I do not believe that our chief aim as Christians should be to be spiritual people. I think our chief aim should be to be loving people. Because when we become loving people, we become more spiritual people. The deeper that we go in our love, the more profoundly God becomes exhibited and manifest through us. And I think it is impossible to love really deeply without becoming a deeply spiritual person along the way. So Paul writes another letter as we wrap up and we move our hearts this morning to the Lord's table. Paul writes another letter to the church at Colossae. And he writes with some very striking language when he talks about this quality of love. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Since God chose you to become the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with, with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect unity. As he's writing this text, 
His mind, no doubt, is going to the night on which Jesus was betrayed. When Jesus stood up from the table at the Passover celebration, and he took a servant's towel, and he wrapped it around himself, and he knelt down before 12 men, and he washed their feet. And Paul writes here and says this, Just as Jesus Christ clothed himself in humility and loved so deeply, so I want you to clothe yourself in humility, and I want you to clothe yourself in love, because when you do, it binds you together in perfect God unity. Let me say this. We are no more like God than we, when we are clothed with love, just like Jesus clothed himself in love. Let's pray together as our band comes and Pastor Life will come in just a moment and lead us through communion. Father, our hearts this morning want more than anything else to aspire to your desire for our lives. My prayer today, as we move through these next few moments when we remember what you did for us, may our hearts be drawn into a deeper, more significant place of appreciation and gratitude. Because God, we're humbled when we think about the level and the degree to which you loved us. Help us, I pray, to love one another the way, Father, that you modeled your love through your Son, Jesus. May our hearts be inspired and encouraged and drawn to a deeper place today, we pray. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.